I'm Aaron Ashmore, and you're listening to Nerd Culture Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 46 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. Well, hello. All right. This appears to be the sexy episode. Giggity. Yeah. For some reason, my piece of paper says my name is Luke. <laughs> it's not the... What? You wish you were Luke. It's Luke trying to take over. If again. you're not Luke, th- if you're Luke, then who am I? And if I'm not Luke, then who are you? You, you can be Shadow. Who are you and who you are you? You can be Dark Luke. That like makes my sense, shadow. actually. Yeah, that works. I've got the beard. He's doing the goatee. I can be Mirror Luke. Mirror Luke. Mirror Luke. Mirror Luke. Anyway, my name is David. And <laughs> with me are the NCP crew. Richo. I have no identity crisis happening myself at the moment. I know exactly who I am. Yeah, Luke. I am Mirror, the world's harshest critic. Does that make me that Mirror, the world's nicest critic? See, you're the nicest critic. No, I don't like that. I want you to be that for the rest of this episode. Yeah. Nah. For one Mirror episode. Luke, the nicest critic. Do it. Mm, I reckon that works This isn't going to last very long You can do it for at least one episode Let's just see how it works It'll be funny Not this this episode Hey Crystal I'm here I'm I'm the lady girl The lady Lady girl girl. That's right We distinguish your identity from ours By the fact that you have lady parts (laughs) Is that like Lady Hawk But um, instead of going from a hawk to a lady You just go from a lady to a lady Kind of uh, not much of an ability, really, is no, it? No, no. <laughs> it's pretty lame, isn't it? But I do it well. <laughs> <laughs> You're the best at what you do, and what you do is be a lady. I do what I do best. <laughs> Alright, we've got a heap of content for this episode. We do it all for you, listeners. A huge episode. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, brain busting bargains. <laughs> <laughs> brain busting. Uh, we've got. Uh, we're starting off with a dust jacket on the liberation of Sundrian City by Mister Andrew Lewis. Uh, Andrew is a Melbourne author, I believe, uh, originally from One Thaggy, and uh, he requested that we review his debut novel. Uh, it's a fantasy novel, and I, for one, am very excited and honoured. Wait, wait, the actual author requested that we do this. He did indeed. He contacted us and uh, it's it's very cool. And that is pretty amazing. Yeah. I just want to say thank you very much, Ander, for uh, actually giving us this opportunity. For trusting trusting us with your, with your book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also then have a Channel Zero on the IT crowd. Uh, we're big fans of the IT crowd here. It's, it's a hilarious show. But wait, there's more! That's right. Uh, thanks to the lovely people at Oz Comic Con, we've also got an interview with Mr. Aaron Ashmore, who you would know from Smallville and we're currently on Warehouse 13. Uh, so that's cool, so uh, look forward to that. And we also have our winners from our competition. Uh, thanks to All Star Comics, uh, we're giving away some Marvel Motion Blu-rays. So it was uh, very cool. We got uh, quite a few entries. We'll put them all in the hat and we'll draw out some winners. And to finish off... Last episode, we covered our favourite soundtracks and themes from uh, movies and TV. We asked our listeners to send in their favourite tracks, Uh, so anything that we missed and anything that they thought was awesome themselves. And we had uh, a huge response. Um, In fact, I had so many responses that I can't list them all, so I I do apologise. So I do have... I've picked out uh, five 
So five of you are going to have your your ones read out, uh, and uh, just really grateful for the response. It was really, really cool, and some really good feedback on that episode. It's, it seemed to be very well received. But wait, there's more. No, that's it. But wait, there's no more. <laughs> so let's start off with Dust Jacket and the Liberation of Sundrian City. So we've actually got a rather interesting situation this time for our Dust Jacket. It's a first here on the show. Um, and Lewis, as mentioned earlier, is um, a local Melbourne writer. And he's actually sent the book into us and asked us to review it, which is really, really cool. It is awesome. <laughs> he, uh, he saw our card at uh, Minotaur, Minotaur Comics, yep. and, um, and was actually recommended by one of the staff there. Mm. Contacted me and said, hey, you want to review the book? And I was like, sweet. Yeah. So thank you, Andrew. That's actually a very, very cool thing to do. And uh, we very much appreciate it here. We are going to review The Liberation of Sundrian City, but I'm actually going to take off my painted to Captain Dust Jacket cape and trunks. And, <laughs> and trunks. Whoa. And trunks. That's right. I'm taking off my Captain Dust Jacket trunks, everybody. Everyone look away now. <laughs> this is the sexy episode. And trust me, it gets even better. Because I'm handing them over to Dave to take control in a very special Captain Dust Jacket moment. That means you have to put Richard's trunks on. No. <laughs> no. That's never, never that's right. ever going to happen. So as uh, Richard mentioned, uh, Ander is a Melbourne author. Um, and one of the cool things that I, th- I thought about uh, re- reviewing this book is I actually have seen it before at Minotaur. Mm. It's got uh, a very distinctive and, uh, I-, I must say, awesome cover. Um, so I do remember seeing it on the shelves at Minotaur before. So it was very cool. I mean, the cover uh, is actually is painted, I believe. It looks painted. Mm-hmm. Um, by uh, Jimmy Manton. So great job, Jimmy. Brilliant stuff on the cover. We like to support our, our local artists and uh, creators and very excited to be reviewing The Liberation of Sundrian City. Hmm. Uh, so it is It is a fantasy novel. Um, it deals with uh, a city uh, that is basically locked away to the outside world. So the outside world, they, they believe, they've been taught all their lives that the outside world is actually dangerous and overrun by magical creatures and stuff like that. So, so it's, kind of, it's kind of like a... Uh, a magical version of uh, like a post-apocalyptic world. And they're like the last city standing, so it's, it's it's you know massive gates and stuff like that. And inside uh, the the city, the, these humans live. Justice is swift and uh, terrible, and uh, uh, basically, if anybody caught doing anything uh, bad, is thrown into the into the arena, um, sort of Roman Roman sort of style, where they're thrown into the arena and they they're killed. Uh, by sport uh, with elephants. Um, so elephants play a big part uh, of the story. Um, the, the elephant riders are all very respected um, and the, 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 the event, the arena event, is uh, very popular and you know, keeps the, the masses happy. Uh, it's all ruled over by uh, an emperor. Um, it's basically the, first, the very first person who's you know, founded the city and so his family have ruled ever since. Um, and uh, he's not the smartest chap in the world. Uh, his assistant and basically the brains of the operation uh, is Ramil, uh, otherwise known as Remy. And funnily enough, he's actually affectionately known as Remy by the entire populace because he's uh, he's basically the the brains and the the flamboyant uh, PR of the operation. So he's yeah, uh, he's the big hero. Yeah, he's, he's the, the hero. He's, the he's, a, he's a magician, uh, and he and his uh, bodyguard are the only ones who are allowed to travel outside the gate and uh, visit the world outside and basically to see. 
whether the conditions outside have changed so that the, the city can then open its gates and everybody move out. That's, of course, never happened in the you know, centuries that the city has existed for. Um, and as we find out uh, later on, is never going to happen. Uh, the story centres on uh, 13-year-old Linus Smith, uh, who's the son of uh, the Fletcher, uh, the, the Fletcher in the town. Uh, his parents are killed, and so he goes off to live in the palace. Um, I don't want to give away too much more after that, because uh, it starts to get uh, pretty exciting after that, so I won't, I won't give you anything away in the end and all that sort of stuff, but that's the general, the general idea. So it is a fantasy novel, uh, but it doesn't, even though the outside world is uh, full of, you know, magical supernatural creatures, apparently, and that Remy himself is a magician, it's not Lord of the Rings type, no. high magic type stuff. No, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty grounded in reality, really. No, it's, not a Northern, it's not a Northern European fantasy. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off uh, with the negatives, and then I'm going to go into the positives. Actually, what I did, I started off with a positive because of how awesome the cover is. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Positive, negative, positive. Anyway, moving on. That's a um, <laughs> it is a pattern. So, like I said, it is it is Anders first book, um, and I think that kind of shows in the proofreading. I I think this this book would have uh, benefited greatly from another draft. Um, not so much in terms of the story. I mean, the story is perfectly fine. Um, in terms of, just in terms of more uh, grammar, um, spelling, punctuation, that sort of stuff. Um, that's most apparent in the first chapter. In the opening chapter, it describes the city itself. Um, so the problem I have with it is that it actually doesn't make sense. Mm. The only the other problem with it is is like I said in, in, in terms of the grammar and mm. uh, the punctuation and stuff like that. It just doesn't. It, it's just, it's just quite clunky. And being a first chapter, it's unfortunate mm. because it's sort of right from the outset you kind of pulled out. And so you have to think. I know this sounds terrible, but you have to think too hard in order to get past it to move on. Um, I think a good example of that is going from talking in that on that first page. Um, when you're going from looking at the guard, you know, falling asleep, and suddenly going to, you might think he was doing, might think he was doing this. You might be mistaken for thinking he's doing this. It's it suddenly it, going from an omniscient narrator to a second-person perspective, and it's the only time it happens in the book. Mm. Um, right off the fir- right off the bat, it's very sort of, um, as you said, jarring, and it, it does take you out. Not to the point where I didn't know what was going on, but it was more a case of. Right, why have you done that? You just need to tell me that the guy's falling asleep. Yeah. And I also agree with you about the geography. It doesn't make... It's how they're going, I, I can't quite picture the two together. Yeah. I mean, basically, it's it, it basically says that um, the, uh, the walls stretch between the natural landlock known as Adela's Arms, an insurmountable valley jutting forth from the treacherous Mount Adela, forming the perfect basin in which they house the city of Sundering. That just comes down to the description, I think, yeah. more than anything else. It's not. Um, I get the idea of what he, of what he yeah. was basically playing, and and that was the idea that I had that I, I had in my head. Is is like okay, this is actually pretty cool. I mean, it's the perfect place to have a city because you can only come from one area. I think that's basically what he was trying to describe: is that there's only one one place where you can attack from mm. if you were going to attack because yeah. the mountains were insurmountable. Mm. Um, so you just have that one thing. There. But in terms of actual description, it doesn't really work. One of the things uh, that this negative review on Amazon said is that he basically couldn't get past that chapter and, and gave up. Now, that is a shame because once the story gets going, it is, it is slow to start, but once you get into it, I actually found it quite enjoyable. It's, it, was, it was an easy, quick, fun read once you sort of got into it. Um, so the highlight for me uh, when the book actually became uh, un-put-downable, which I think is uh, pretty impressive... Um, is the end of chapter 21. Um, and the reason I liked it so much is because, A, I didn't see it coming. 
not blowing my own horn, but I'm, I'm pretty good at sort of seeing these sort of things. I mean, years of reading Agatha Christie and you know stuff like that. <laughs> They're pretty pretty easy to pick up. And for some reason, for I could I didn't I didn't grasp this. So then when it happened, I was like, that's friggin' awesome. <laughs> so and so from then on, I was you know I was I actually didn't stop reading from then on. So that was pretty cool. Now Crystal actually um, said that she'd figured it out pretty earlier on yeah, <laughs> in the book. Just because I'm yeah, it's similar sort of stuff I've read in the past. So when when. Can we say what the thing is? No, I don't want to say what it is. Right. I don't want to say what it is because so, it's cool. Well, when when the thing was revealed to be what it was, <laughs> I, I, you know, I wasn't too surprised. Oh, okay, but cool. um, but I still thought it was good. A good turn of events. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was really awesome. So, um, so yeah. So then, so like I said, I, I read it all and in the rest of the setting, and um, I'm glad I did. Actually, I mean, I had a lot of fun reading this. I mean, it is it is pretty clear that it's a first novel, mm. um, but in that sense. I'm so damn impressed on the fact that it's out there and printed and, you know, it's properly printed and bound and published and in Minotaur. You know what I mean? I mean, it's... it's, it's That's just, an achievement. It is an achievement and and uh, you should be very proud. One thing I really want to give this book credit for, I am not a fantasy reader. Hmm. Um, in fact, I find most fantasy novels really boring. But my main problem with fantasy novels is that 90% of them are just following that that Tolkien model that we talked about earlier, you know, the quest and, and that they're always using the same standard characters. And, and I just get bored with it very easily because, you know, if you've read Lord of the Rings, you don't want to read multiple Lord of the Rings wannabes. Um, and I, I give Anders credit here for actually creating a fantasy story where he's actually trying to do something a bit different to the norm. Yeah. You know, he's not following that standard model. And, exactly. and I appreciate that because yeah. it's it, it's so easy to just churn out yet another Tolkien-like novel to actually try to do something different. And to do it as a first novel as well is, I think, impressive. That's exactly right. Um, yeah. You know, to try and to try and, and buck the trend of fantasy novels. Um, I think it would, it would, you're, you're right, it would be so easy for your first novel just to basically do copy, what's safe. copy, do, what's, do safe. what's safe. You know, yeah. do another... You know, a wheel of time, or exactly, or uh, what's that? The Shannara series. Well, the Shannara series just is Lord is, of the Rings. The Shannara is, is basically the Lord, you know, and it's yeah. hugely successful. So obviously, it you know it works. Yeah. But the fact that he didn't do that, I think, is awesome. I and mean, the introduction of the elephants is 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 really cool. Well, elephants are just awesome anyway. No, no, elephants are awesome, <laughs> and um, battle elephants is even cooler. I saw on the front cover. I actually didn't notice that that was an elephant. Until you know, obviously started reading the book on the, in the background. There, you got the two yeah. in the front, obviously. But then there's another one. And I was like, I thought that was um, a, like a mysterious, the, 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 the big bad, yeah. essentially, with it revealed to be like the big bad demon at the end or something like that. And of course, it wasn't it was completely, completely off track. Mm. <laughs> but uh, that's just judgment from the cover. It's funny you mentioned that because it, even in spite of the fact it's not very Tolkien and Tolkien, like I was actually thought I thought there were two other. Stories though that came really to mind. One is the City in the Stars by Arthur C. Clarke, which also has a, a closed-off world, a character want to explore. And the other one is the film The Village by M. Night Shyamalan. Yep. Which is in many cases very, without wanting to give away what's going on, in many cases very similar um, philosophically to um, what's going on in the in the Liberation here. My hat's go off. does go off to him. First novel, and he has self-published this. And there's some stuff that I did like to go with, to go with some positives. I liked the um, the moment where uh, Linus discovers um, his, the death of his discovers his parents dead. Yep. Um, I thought that was a, a nice moment, and some of what happens afterwards I quite like as well because that you're going through a you're looking at a 13 year old boy suddenly placed and put in charge of um, his father's entire operation, having to do this tremendous task of getting all the arrows on order to the emperor. 
Um, and of course he breaks down and I thought mm. and you know goes out and goes in a bit of a bender and he gets in trouble from there thought you know nicely handled yeah I, I feel something for the character here um, but then it goes into the elephant training aspect before actually getting into the stuff that is the title of the story which is you know liberation yeah um, not enough happening and not enough of the character driving what's going on as well mm. not enough of him wanting to find his father's murder his parents murderer or at least something to keep the plot going. Yeah, he kind of just reels from situation <clears throat> to situation. And he and it's very safe. He gets helped by a lot of it. He gets helped by people, but doesn't. I don't see him really learning anything in particular, apart from maybe trying to manage the elephant. Um, that was actually going to further make go turn him from you know uh, a thirteen-year-old boy into a man. This is a coming-of-age story almost. Yeah. Um, and there was the the his journey wasn't as sufficiently fleshed out, I thought, as it could have been. I actually thought that uh, he got the characterization of Linus down perfectly. I thought every time Linus did something, I thought, oh, that's a bit odd. But I sort of think, no, actually, that's how a 13-year-old boy probably would respond to that situation. Every decision he made was made with a 13-year-old boy's mindset. I like a bit of world building and seeing what's around and what's happening. I didn't mind that the actual liberation part didn't come until later. Yep. Well, I mean, it is telling that I basically, it really kicked off for me around, you know, 2021 mm. in, in the term, terms of the chapters and stuff like that. And that's, I mean, that's, I mean, it's still, that's still a third of the book left to go. Mm. So, yeah, so I agree, I agree with what you're saying. It's, it probably, it, it could have used a, a bit more tightening up mm. at the start. Mm. Um, it certainly did get a lot better as it went along. It got more and more enjoyable mm. as it mm. went along. And a really strong finish, I think, which is impressive because it's, it's hard to, it's hard to end well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I think I think this does end well. So, so yeah. So so just finishing up. So like I said, um, and uh, really hats off to you, dude, for for getting this out there. And uh, it's it's far better than uh, some actual sort of published popular novels. We're looking at you, Feed by Mira Grant. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, we're looking at you, Twilight. <laughs> was, uh, da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. So uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I haven't read all the Fifty Shades, but uh, yeah, it's just and and, I, and like the others, I am actually a fantasy uh, reader, so um, I'm glad I read it. So, well done, dude. And uh, what, one thing I actually want to say in terms of actually going back to Mira Grant, I, I appreciate the fact that he didn't try to make Linus cool. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Make, make the mistake. Yeah. He of made saying, mistakes. Yeah, you know, but also because you know, he's a cool guy, he's not. He's actually quite um, withdrawn and almost insecure. Yeah, um, and I think yeah. that was, it was nice not to see the other side of the. The um the prepubescent fantasy, you know the the trumped up sense of self belief. Even the bit yeah. where he's first confronted, like he's in the arena, mm. and he's about to die. Mm. So even the bit where he uh, manages to, to to get the upper hand and get up on mm. top of the elephant, I thought it was actually believable. I was like, this yeah. actually. Yeah. I mean, if you're, you're you're pumped up on the adrenaline, you're going to do this sort of crazy mm. stuff. I mean, it was crazy what he does. The other thing I like too is that I'm. I used to be a big fantasy reader, but not much anymore because I got tired of the same old, same old stuff and, and you've read one book and then you've got five more to follow. I like that this was all contained in the one book. And Yeah, good point. Cool. So that's uh, The Liberation of Sundry and City. Ratings? I'm going to give this one and a half looks. Yeah, look, I'm going to give it two. Um, I think there's some good ideas here and like I said, I'm glad that it didn't follow the standard. For basically much the same reasons Luke said. I think uh, maybe a little bit more editing, a little bit more tightening, and this could have been a really a really strong novel. But um, there's some good stuff in there, definitely. Look, if I hadn't finished it, I might have given it two, two and a half. But got, um, the ending really uh, pumps it up for me. I'm going to get three and a half because 
there's not many books where you can sort of get to the end and be satisfied with the ending. Some of them you're left wanting more. Some of them, oh, I don't. That shouldn't have ended that way. I just found this a really satisfying and exciting ending. Yeah. Okay. Well, I agree with everything everybody said, and uh, the fact that it actually is out there and exists. Mm. And like I said, from twenty one onward, uh, I was wrapped and uh, couldn't put it down. So I'm going to give it three and a half loops as well. Cool. Right. Well, I'm taking my cake back now. Oh, okay. And my trunks. But your trunks are still off. My God, you're right. <laughs> right I'm putting my trunks back on. I snuck them into the washing machine. <laughs> First washing time they've machine, been cleaned in two years. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you, Dave. Well done. Your honorary Captain Dust Jacket badge will be in the mail. Thanks. Yes. And um, yeah, and I just want to say thank you very much, Andrew, for actually getting in touch with us and for sending the book through. That was awesome. Much appreciated. Now, if he uh, if he was okay with the review, I'm actually hoping to get an interview with Vanda uh, as well. So it'll be interesting to uh, hear what he thinks about the review and uh, to talk a bit more about his follow-up, which uh, I'm very I'm very excited about because based on, on this, I, mean, I think his, his follow-up will be uh, very cool. Uh, a duet for Swans, uh, which will be out this year. Okay, so moving on. Next up we have Channel Zero, the IT crowd. The IT Crowd is a British sitcom on Channel 4. Uh, it's written by Graham Lynham and it stars Chris O'Dowd, Richard Aoid. If anyone knows how to pronounce that, I think please it's let me know. And Catherine Parkinson. Um, and in uh, season two onwards, Matt Berry. Um, it deals with uh, those, those three main characters. I uh, work at IT at Renham Industries and uh, their wacky adventures. Kind of like a big fan theory, but funnier. Hmm. Well, there's your opinion. <laughs> and mine. I have to agree with that. Uh, premiered uh, in 2006 and ran for four series, uh, four seasons. Um, and because it's British, it's like six episodes per season. Oh, well, it's... So you can get it watched in a weekend. There was going to be a fifth season but uh, series, but uh, it turns out that's not going to happen. Actually, in this case, it says version. So you've got version 1.0. Yeah, 2.0, 2.0, 3.0, Yes, but being well versed in the British, you know, televisual system, they tend to call you know their seri- yeah, seasons yeah, series so. series. Yeah, mm. um, there was even an American uh, remake at one point, which is just god awful. Uh, ad- added to the <laughs> list of a great many yeah. American remakes of British sitcoms. That the are just American terrible. remake of Red Dwarf is just my god. It's a must watch for just <laughs> the horror. Cool, so Random Industries is a fictional British corporation. Um, pretty impressive uh, tall building and uh, the IT people were in the basement of it. <laughs> so you have all the all the sexy people working in, uh, on the other floors, especially the accounting team. It's like, it's, oh, it, what, what's, what's the floor that's just full of all sexy people? It's five. Yeah. It's like, fifth. yeah. Well, I'm going for a lecture on fifth. Yeah, because <laughs> they're all attractive, which is weird. Um, and what, uh, what the company actually does is never mentioned. <laughs> so, it's some sort of product that has something to do with our company. Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, we're a bit unsure about what they actually do. One year their profits were eighteen hundred billion billion, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> just ridiculous. Although then they strangely enough have uh, uh, no money in like season three. <laughs> it's really weird. There, cool. There's a reason for that. There is no such thing as eighteen hundred billion billion. <laughs> 
Yes, there is. Creative kit accounts. We've got eighteen hundred. We've got eighteen hundred billion billion fans. No, that's how, that was in my dream last night. I'm thinking, I'm thinking that those numbers are slightly inflated. <laughs> slightly inflated. So uh, Moss and Roy, um, uh, the IT technicians, and uh, they're basically you know complete super geeks. I mean, they they fit the entire the stereotype. Roy, uh, played by Chris O'Dowd, um, is just doesn't want to work, doesn't do anything really. Each each query, whenever somebody calls up, it's basically have you tried turning it off and on again, uh, which is you know the running running joke. The very first scene is Roy avoiding answering the phone. Yeah, he just basically <laughs> it, it takes as long as he possibly can to answer the phone. Um, so yeah, so that's a it, it plays on that stereotype that IT um, make you wait ages before they actually get anything done, and it's just it's very rare and stuff like that. And uh, Moss, who's played by Richard, and I'm not going to try his last name again, is uh, you know, com- completely socially inept. Um, he has no idea how to interact with the outside world, and is just goddamn hilarious. <laughs> he's faints he's very the, yeah. Faints at the mere mention of a bra. That's right. <laughs> and uh, he, he whenever if he if he gets knocked unconscious, he wakes up to the Windows startup tune, <laughs> which is gold. But. Uh, Yes, yeah, so, but he, but he's, but he's just a lovely, lovely guy, and they they were happily, happily going along until uh, Jen arrives. So Jen is hired by Denim Renham for her uh, outstanding computer knowledge. Who, but she actually has uh, no computer knowledge at all. I mean, it's, she describes it by saying, "It's like, oh yeah, I know plenty about computers. It's like turning it off, turning it on, moving the mouse, email, email, sending email, receiving email. email. That's basically the extent of her knowledge." Which is pretty good. <laughs> that's, not, that's not too bad. More than most. She gets put, gets get uh, much to the to the disgust of uh, Roy. Gets put in charge of the IT team, um, but then it really doesn't really do anything. Um, it works as publicity. <laughs> oh, awesome scene where Moss goes into uh, talk to her. She's on the phone and she finishes talking, and Moss says, "I just came in to see if you'd like me to connect your phone." Yeah. <laughs> so she's so she's caught not yeah like. The phone, and she's got she's typing away at her computer, but it's not actually on. Mm. <laughs> so you know stuff like that. She has no idea, but she becomes a like... vital part of the team. Okay, so like I said, it's four seasons. Uh, the all, all four seasons are available on DVD. Now I do I do want to mention the awesomeness of the DVDs. Graham Lynam, I'm obviously a big fan of the genre of nerd, not just you know just his own stuff, but just is the, the pop culture in effect. Um, the DVDs, uh, the DVD menus, each one has its own theme. Um, generally based on the sort of overall theme of this of each series, uh, and they have like little extra bits. It's they're so full of like Easter eggs and stuff like that that I won't even bother listing them all because there's there's too many of them. Uh, but season one's menu is based on an eight uh, an eight bit adventure game, which has themes from the series itself. It's, it's awesome. You got to watch it. Uh, the beauty of these things, if you put the DVD in, just sit there and just watch the menu for a good five minutes, and you'll see a whole bunch of cool stuff. Uh, season 2, which is my favourite one, is actually based on... Before you go on to the Season 2 menu, can we just mention the startup screen of Season 2, which says, Warning, stop watching this DVD immediately. If you suspect that you or anyone you know is watching this DVD, then you or they are breaking the law. Move back from the television, place your hands behind your head, and await further instructions. Piracy is a crime. <laughs> <laughs> and that plays on uh, one of the episodes uh, which deals with a pirated movie that uh, Roy's got. So, so it's just yeah, it's just little stuff like that. It's just it's just awesome. But yeah, so but like I said, the the menu for season two is uh, a sixteen bit. is based on a sixteen bit type game, and is and is actually based on uh, Zero Wing, uh, which has a very popular meme called uh, "All Your Base Belong to Us." Mm-hmm. So it's this very bad English translation. 
um, and uses, uh, like I said, things from the from the season. What's also awesome is it also in the uh, that's the main menu, but if you go to the episode select menu, it's a Mortal Kombat screen. <laughs> so it has each different characters from the series in the Mortal Kombat theme. And the model, any for anybody who's played old school Mortal Kombat, you've basically you've got the song. So it's you know, it's Mortal Kombat. Dun, 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 dun. Well, this has actually got the have you tried turning it off and on again. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> it's just brilliant. Uh, season three's uh, not that exciting. It's basically just uh, the uh, they've got in one of the episodes they've got a, a rip off of Facebook called Friend. Friend face. face, yeah, friend face, and it's just and basically it's a friend face screen, so mm. it's not that exciting. Uh, and then season four is uh, it's kind of is a, is a weird amalgamation of uh, of like a, a, a click adventure game, like a more modern, you know, two thousands click adventure game that slowly morphs into a weird sort of Beatles album cover sort of deal <laughs> with them jamming on these guitars. It's it's, it's quite freaky. It's uh, it's really really cool. Series one, uh, so basically, is is the start, and so it introduces all the characters and how they all get together, and the introduction of Jen and how they all become fast friends, um, and basically, and sort of gives you an idea of the wackiness of random industries. Um, it has, I mean, the main the main focus is the is the main guys, of course, but it also focuses a lot on Denim, mm. uh, Denim Random, who is just brilliant. He's actually my favourite character. Yeah. Followed closely by his son Douglas, who later shows up. But um, going to declare war. He's just. Oh my god! S- sitting out at the computer, going on, yeah, on, and uh, he's played by uh, yeah. Hello Computer. Yes, Hello Computer. Yeah, that's, Hello. What, that's what he's saying. But... Hello Computer. <laughs> Great. Um, anyway, so uh, he's played by Chris Morris, who uh, is very, uh, is very, very well known in uh, Britain uh, yeah. for his uh, comedy and documentary work. Clearly not old enough to be Matt Perry's father, but yeah, okay. <laughs> he's like a week older. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, yeah, so uh, so season one, so my so uh, series one, my favorite episode is number five, uh, basically because of the plot where um, Jen dates this obnoxious guy and uh, doesn't want to speak to him ever again, and so tells Moss that if he arrives, to tell her that she that he's that she's busy and can't be spoken to, and because he has no idea how to interact with people, and he gets he gets so flustered and under pressure that when he arrives and just won't take no for an answer, she eventually he eventually blurts out that she's dead, and so. <laughs> the whole office, the whole office mourns, and she's got, and they've got like a, you know, a eulogy, and Alton John shows up to play a song, and and all this sort of stuff, but no one bothers to tell Jen, <laughs> and so who clearly isn't dead, and uh, and so then she shows up, and everybody's like, what the hell, um, and and so they basically blame her, and so therefore she blames Boss. Now the the running gag in this, that is that the guy that she dates um, claims to have slept with her, even though they didn't, and. Uh, and so, she, stop telling everyone you slept with me. You're bastard. Runs throughout, <laughs> runs throughout the episode. Um, so it has this absolutely brilliant bit where she um, she's on this sits on this trolley that the. This is my all time favorite bit. Ever. Oh, you, you describe it then. The little character called Small Paul who uh, wheels the mail trolley around and. Uh, he decides to give Jen a lift on the trolley. So she's going, not too fast, not too fast. But of course, he takes off at full tilt. And they run past this guy's office. I can't even remember what his name uh, was. Douche. Douchebag's <laughs> office. And all you can see is her head above the window screaming. And from his perspective, he's the only one who can see who's in the office. 
just to see this floating head going past. <laughs> this scene, actually, the first time I saw it, made me literally fall off the couch laughing. It is, it is absolutely genius. <laughs> yes, and uh, yeah, his reaction is just is gone. gold. Um, <laughs> yeah, so there's other, there's other good stuff in. I, I, we won't go through everything, but you know, season season one, I think, is uh, is is quite good. Then we go on to season two. Uh, I've actually got two two favorite episodes uh, from that. Is uh, episode one. Uh, which involves uh, the the boys following, uh, inviting themselves along with Jen to see Gay the musical. Oh, this is awesome! Um, they don't they don't know that that's what the musical's called. That and they have. Uh, it's quite funny that uh, Moss's Moss doesn't want to see the musical not because it's about homosexuals, but because it's set in the past. Because <laughs> it's set during the Thatcher the Thatcher oh, years. <laughs> oh no, it's it's set in the eighties, <laughs> which is hilarious. And uh, it, when you say Gay the musical, all I can hear of is you know AIDS the musical, but the word age just being replaced by gay instead. Yeah, so. it's basically, it's basically same. the same thing as the Trey and Matt Stone, mm. Trey Parker and Matt Stone thing. But, um, yeah, so it's, so it's gay, the musical about, about you know, homosexuals during the 80s, and um, it's quite gay. <laughs> and uh, and uh, they're taken to that musical by um, uh, this guy that Jen's interested in, uh, who then turns out to be gay himself, but he you know denies it throughout the whole episode. So but what, makes it, what makes it so brilliant is not just uh, gay, the musical, which actually is... Kind of actually was actually kind of entertaining, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> strangely enough, um, and it's all I mean, it's all played for laughs and stuff. But what makes it just absolutely flat out awesome is that it's the theater that set the theater that they're in. Moss and uh, Roy go to, need to go to the toilet, but they can't because it's got one of those attendants there, and so he's watching them pee, and so they can't mm. go. And I'm the same, so I know exactly what they're talking about. Um, and so they go to they split up to go to different way different toilets. So uh, so Roy goes to the disabled toilet, and Moss goes to um, the staff toilet, and so they get caught, and so because they're so socially inept, they can't just just admit. It's like, hey, well, I needed to use the toilet because I couldn't use the other one. They have to make up these ridiculously outlandish stories because it's a oh, sitcom. No, I'm disabled. <laughs> <laughs> so Roy claims to be disabled and having his wheelchair stolen, which makes no sense because the door is locked. How did they get in? That's <laughs> brilliant. So and so, there's been just continuing escalating situations where he, he gets given a. But he basically has to pretend to be disabled for the rest of the episode. Stolen by a red bearded Caucasian man. And uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, just see the episode. It's brilliant just for that. My, um, and uh, Moss, um, get, he gets caught in the staff staff toilets, and so he claims that he is staff, and so he does. So he doesn't get in trouble, and so then has to work behind the bar for the rest of the episode. And has no idea. And when Jen comes in, she sees Roy for the first time in the wheelchair. So, what? They have a little bit of dialogue. And she says, finally she takes pity on him and says, she looks like he's a drink. He goes, yes, double whiskey, please. She turns around and Moss says, how can I help you, ma'am? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the look on her face, is, on Jen's face, is hilarious. Uh, the other episode is uh, episode two, which involves the death of um, Denim. Um, so Denim commits suicide when, when it's discovered that he's been playing around with the, the, uh, the pension fund. And jumps out the window. It's actually my favourite episode of all of them because just for this one scene, because of uh, uh, Moss, um, unbeknownst to Roy, uh, puts in a whole bunch of details into one of those websites that tells you when you're going to die. So you put in your your height and your weight and your mm. health style, lifestyle, and, and basically gives you a date of when you're expected to die. And because um, Roy's lifestyle is so horrible, he's actually going to die that Thursday <laughs> at, three at, at three p.m. <laughs> and that just happens to be when the funeral is. Um, and so, so he's uh, he's he's really upset about it. And so they, they go to the funeral, and he's trying to ignore it. But he's you know, he's, at a, he's at a cemetery, so there's gravestones and stuff. And uh, before that, he was he was complaining about how his new phone's ringtone 
these new phones vibrating thing was so weak and so Moss who's a uh, tech genius amps it up so that if you put it on 10 you're basically going to kill yourself it's just ridiculous you I have totally to pimped your phone girlfriend that's right so it's just it's just it's it's like a lethal weapon now and so Ross uh, Roy's got that in his in his shirt pocket so he's at so he's sitting at the funeral and he gets a call <laughs> and forgets that it is in fact the, the phone in his pocket and so he thinks he's having a heart attack and he gets up and I can't I can't I can't use the dialogue from the scene because he swears a, a lot but uh, so basically he thinks he's having a heart attack and he's like telling two people to call an ambulance but what makes it hilarious is not just him and his reaction, but the fact that not a single person in the th- in the in the crowd, including Moss and Jen, pay him any attention. <laughs> they just they're just looking at him like, what? Oh and he's just he's clearly petrified. I'm it's not just, joking. I'm not joking. And it's just brilliant, brilliant stuff. It's comedy genius. We're uh, a great man today. <laughs> uh, season three um, episode, and once again another two good episodes. Uh, episode one only actually actually find episode one kind of boring except for this one bit where I mean Moss because he's just so lovely um, he he's walking through a park and a bunch of uh, young thugs basically give him crap and in, no, not horribly they're not going to they're not going to beat him up <laughs> it's just they basically just, they're just nice you know, glasses yeah they pick on him and say nice glasses and he gets quite upset and so Roy so tells him like you've got to stick up for yourself you've got to sort of you know say stuff back so let's, let's do a bit of role play and so, as he's walking past Roy, Roy says, you know, says, nice glasses, and he, and Moss starts crying. <laughs> it's too real, Roy! <laughs> Which is just hilarious. The rest of the episode, take it or leave it, but that one thing, well, awesome. That, that's the, the thing with this show. Even the most boring episode always has a piece of gold comedy in there somewhere. Yeah. That's, um, like, except except for the German episode. No, 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 even that's got the, the you wouldn't steal a handbag bit. Oh, that's true, the bit right at the start that, <laughs> that parodies that ad that we used to get. Um, we had a couple of years back where you, you wouldn't steal the handbag because it could download, illegally download yeah. stuff. You wouldn't steal a policeman's helmet and then go to the toilet in it and then mail it to his wife and then steal it again. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. That, that is very bizarre. But... Yeah, but the rest of the episode, avoid the, the German cannibal or... People might like it. Anyway. I didn't mind. Uh, and the other episode from season three um, is uh, Jan. Jan gets uh, nominated Employee of the Month, and so has to give a speech. And so Roy <laughs> uh, and Moss basically just to just to pick on her and sort of play around with her because she has she basically because she has no idea about this sort of stuff. She relies on them to give them the information, and so she they give her they give her a prop, uh, which is a a black steel box of a red flashing light on it and claim that it is in fact the internet um, and so she takes that to the to the to the speech and uh, and says that it is the internet and to Roy and Moss's horror the crowd because they have no idea either they're all just business people they have no idea um, they believe her and so when she says that if anything happens to this this box the world will will collapse, civilization will collapse because that'll be the end of the internet. Oh, that's the I'm from Iran episode. Yeah, and then of course the box gets damaged uh, through another subplot. And uh, so the box gets damaged. <laughs> and the whole r- room erupts into chaos. Uh, damaged is... by a subplot, damn! <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious. Anyway, and then uh, then season four, uh, which actually, strangely enough, I thought was one of the strongest seasons. This has the, the highest number of good episodes, uh, which is it's a shame that it ended, on, uh, ended when it did. But... Uh, uh, my favorite, my favorite episodes are, are one um, where Jen becomes the the new sort of customer relations officer and has to take out some of 
some of um, Douglas's friends and sort of keep them happy. And the last guy that did that in that job took him to strip shows and bars and, you know, basically stuff like that. They got drunk and drugged and, you know, naked ladies. Um, and, of course, Jen doesn't do that. And so she's a bit she's a bit freaked out of how to, how to handle these three idiots. Um, and so they have a D&D game. <laughs> like, Moss <laughs> organises a D&D game where they, where they take part. And they really, they get really involved and they get really excited about it and uh, have lots of fun. And there's also a subplot with um, Roy with the breakup of um, his last relationship. He's really upset about it. Um, and and yeah, and episode two is uh, is all about. There's a, a British TV show called Countdown, um, which in Australia I think is called Letters and Numbers, where you basically get given a bunch of letters and you have to make words out of them and a whole bunch of numbers and you have, uh, you have to get and you have to make a sum out of it. Um, and so there's the, the British version is quite popular. And so uh, uh, because he's a genius, uh, Moss goes on the show and and has like the longest winning streak ever but they actually at one point they have to play street countdown because there's a there's a one of the former winners is this obnoxious guy and so they have like a they basically have a rumble west side west side story style but instead of a dance off they have a, a countdown off and uh and Roth moss makes this ridiculous word out of like 26 or 7 letters or something ridiculous <laughs> it's awesome awesome stuff so in terms in terms of the characters i mean the three main characters are are, are all awesome um, but like i said at the start my favorite characters are Renum. Um, and Douglas. Uh, Douglas's intro is just brilliant. Is the is episode two of season two? Father. Um, yeah, <laughs> where he just storms into the into the funeral and just speak priest and makes these ridiculous stuff. And then halfway through, his grief manages to, to try and pick up Jen, <laughs> which is just it's just hilarious, hilarious stuff. So as, as you can probably tell by the ridiculous amount of times that I've said it during uh, our discussion, that I think this show is hilarious. Um, so check it out. <laughs> it's it's. It's awesome stuff. You won't be disappointed. Very popular. It's a shame that it's come to an end, but what can you do? At least it ended on a high note. At least it didn't pull the red dwarf. But uh, yeah, so that's the IT crowd. Uh, I hope we've uh, encouraged you to see it. Let us know what you think. Five out of five. Five out of five. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. It's got that German episode. 4.5 out of five. Coming up next, the interview with Mr. Aaron Ashmore from Oz Comic Con. How are you doing? Enjoying Australia? Uh, it's great, you know... Uh, it took a long time to get here, and I'm I'm very tired. But it's so beautiful. The weather's great, and I don't know everybody's so good looking here. Everybody's tanned and got their. You know, I'm coming from winter back home, so I haven't seen uh, lakes or anything like that. Anybody without like a big parka jacket on for a long time. So I'm feeling good. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of Australian ladies who'd be saying the same thing about you in terms of the good looking. Oh, that's okay. That's excellent. <laughs> um, okay, well let's let's hit with the questions. I first I first saw you in you've been in a in a heap of stuff but I I personally first saw you in uh, Prom Queen the Mark Hall story. Yes. Um it was a, an excellent performance dude really really good. Um oh, thank you. Did you actually get to meet Mark himself? Yeah, I did. Um it was funny because I wanted to meet him before we actually shot the movie because I you know you're playing somebody who is uh, a real life person and they're still alive you know it's one thing to do a, a biopic about somebody you know maybe even somebody who's famous or whatever but but they're they're not there anymore so they, they, they can't scrutinize your performance or be like that's not how I did it or that's not who I am so I was very nervous to, to play him without meeting him and sort of getting his consent or, or you know seeing who he was so I could kind of use a little bit of that but the producers just didn't really want me to meet him they just wanted me to you know do my thing and whatever so I didn't actually get a chance to meet him till after uh, we shot 
um, because they they actually had written the script with him and had his input, so they knew him and stuff. But uh, uh, so it was it was cool. It was great to actually get a, get a chance to meet him, and he was a complete sweetheart, uh, amazing guy. And yeah, I was I feel very blessed to be part of that project. Cool, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it it would be kind of weird to actually yeah, to play someone who is actually alive and and can critique you. It's like I yeah, I, I would yeah, never have done that. <laughs> and I next I next saw you in uh, Veronica Mars as Troy. Um, yes. I thought it was I thought it was a very interesting character, and uh, I really like I really enjoyed the fact that you got a chance to come back in season two as kind of as as kind of the good guy, not really a good good guy, but at least better than he was in season one. Redemption, a little bit of redemption. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Sure. It was good to see. It's, it's, I really, I really love Veronica Mars. Did you, did uh, you enjoy the part? Yeah, actually, I really, really did. Um, I had actually auditioned and uh, like screen tested for the part of Duncan, oh. um, and I didn't get it. But uh, as soon as uh, when they started, when they got a pickup to do the show, I got a call from the producer saying, we really liked you for that part, but you just wasn't, you weren't the right fit for it, but we've got another great part uh, in the first, like, five episodes or whatever. Would you be interested? And I said, yeah, like, absolutely. I, lo- I loved the pilot. I thought it was a great writing. But I didn't know how big the show, you know, how, how good the show was going to be and what a cult sort of hit it would be. Mm. Uh, because, it, you know, none of the episodes that aired, I just read the first couple scripts and I was just kind of seeing it. So... I had no idea it was going to be such a great show, so I feel very, uh, again, like blessed to just kind of get on this show that turned into turned out to be such a great, uh, great show. So many talented people, and I really enjoyed the character too. But I didn't know that he was going to be bad until I got that script. Mm. So you know what I mean? They were kind of just like, yeah, we're not really sure what we're going to do with the character and that. Um, so the first like two or three episodes, he, I you know I just thought he, he was going to be like a kind of a short lived short term maybe love interest for Veronica I didn't know there was going to be that whole twist that he was you know this kind of scheming sort of guy so but I really enjoyed that take um, that they played and I think it was genuinely a a big surprise you know like like when people saw it so it was cool it was it was cool Um, it's yeah it's it's much loved Veronica Mars it's a shame it uh, only lasted as long as it did but yeah sometimes the good ones you know uh, for whatever reason don't get that huge sort of you know, um, mainstream acceptance or whatever, you know, like, cause yeah. the people who loved it, loved it, but obviously that it didn't have the, you know, the numbers, uh, mm. to, to keep it going for longer. Yeah. Um, and at least it went out on a high note, at least it went out while it was good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, that's, that's true. That's um, always, uh, the risk of shows that go on and on and on. Yeah. Um, and then of course you went on to, uh, Smallville as Jimmy Olsen, yeah. uh, but it's important to note it was not the Jimmy Olsen that we all know and love. Well, uh, the, the the season or the series finale, yeah. I, I, they brought me back and I ended up playing, you know, the actual real Jimmy Olsen in the future. Yeah. But uh, but yes, the, yeah. the three seasons I was on, it was uh, Jimmy's older brother, Henry yeah. James Olsen, but they called him J- Jimmy Olsen for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> it was a little confusing. It was a little convoluted, that whole uh, thing. I don't think they were quite sure themselves exactly how no, they're going to go. No, they were yeah. making it up along the way, but, yeah. uh, but, but it, it was... Uh, that was a that was a great great three years for me. Yeah, fifty plus episodes. I mean, that's that is a huge haul. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and a great and once again a great performance. It's, it's um it, it you basically stole every scene he was in, which is what Jimmy's meant to do, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, Jimmy, I feel like had a bit of a you know mixed sort of 
uh, reception from people because I, I think think that people either either loved that character or they hated him because he was sort of like the slightly you know annoying, slightly uh, uh, self conscious younger brother or something like that. So I yeah. feel like some people were just like, oh, let's get rid of this guy, and then other people fell in love with him. So it was a very polarizing character. I feel like for people. And then, um, you've, obviously, you've been in other stuff as well. But uh, for me, for me, your your standout for me is uh, Agent Jinx in Warehouse Thirteen, which is a great. Uh, he's a great character, and it's a great show. It's, my wife and I uh, watch it religiously. Um, oh, I'm so glad you that. Yeah, it, it's he's, he's he's really really cool. I mean, I I, I like I love every episode he's in, but uh, my favorites uh, have to be An Enemy Within, um, <laughs> and uh, Second Chance. Where you know where he smashes the smashes the metronome and the stuff metronome, like that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, is he? So he's uh he's now an actual uh, central part of the cast. Is you know, uh, is is it long term? Is Warehouse Thirteen gonna last a, last a bit longer? Hopefully. Well, we shot we've shot another ten episodes. I don't. Are you guys? Uh, where are you guys in in Australia as far as like them airing? Have you seen season four? Yet? Yeah, it's, it's we're in season four, I think. Yeah. So the the first ten we we shot twenty episodes of season four. Um, there's still another ten episodes to air. I know they start airing in, um, in the states uh, at the end of April. So then there's ten episodes, and then we're just waiting to hear uh, about a pickup for season five. Um, so. Uh, yeah, we've been told that you know, as far as, as everything goes, the ratings are quite good, and and you know, I think everybody's on board. So we're just waiting for an official pickup from the network for season five. Yeah, it's it's definitely got a a cult following that's really really growing. Yeah. yeah, well, it's a good show. You know, I think it, it hits on all sorts of bases that that people relate to because there's definitely a, a real sense of humor to the show you know eddie mm. and you know uh allison are, are both you know hilarious yeah. but it's got that sort of family element as well like sibling rivalry and you know you know Artie's the, the the dad and you know what i mean yeah. so it, yeah. it really hits on a lot of uh things that, that everybody kind of can relate to yeah and of course it's got that you know the cool little the cool gadgets every every episode yeah. and oh yeah and it's yeah. like a history lesson every week too right yeah. like there's some artifact with some you know, I mean, not not totally true, but I, I'm constantly looking up the, these people and stuff that they're referencing because half the people I'm like, I don't know who the hell that is. You know, like let me look yeah. it up because I got to talk about them. So, uh, so it's really interesting. It kind of gives it, it just hits on so many different levels. Yeah, and there's so many facets to to Agent Jinx. I mean, did did you? How much input do you have in shaping the character? Like, I mean, he's like he's a Buddhist. It's revealed that he's a Buddhist at one point. So, do you, I mean, is that was that something you came up with, or something that arrived? No, from? I mean, I, I mean, the character is really you know created, um, you know, by by the writers and stuff. Hmm. I think that on 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 most shows, but I think on this show in particular, they really kind of look at. The, the actors and they try and write towards us our strengths or, or things that they see in us um, and I think that that's really true because uh, you know a lot of these uh, characters on the show are very well represented by the actors like there's definitely huge facets of the actors personalities in these characters and I think that they really uh, have tried to do that um, use use our personalities and our strengths to you know to strengthen the characters so I mean I'm not a Buddhist or anything like that and I think that Correct. was written in from the very beginning but I think that they just kind of write to who we are as actors and uh, I think that makes that's one of the reasons why I think the characters are so interesting yep um, and that you know it allows us to play play them um, you know as well as we can because uh, yeah they're kind of catering towards us cool do you get to keep any of the props no no unfortunately 
unfortunately, um, I think they're very uh, expensive. You know, they're kind of one-offs that, that, that they have created, and, and I think they're pretty expensive. So, uh, But it is fun to get to play with them on set. Um, and I, I, I've definitely broken one by accident before, you know, like oh. they're, they're not, they're not fragile, but you know, all the wear and tear and we're running around with the Teslas and sometimes they bang against stuff. So, yeah. um, but yeah, it's really cool. I mean, all the gadgets we get to play with are amazing. Um, we, so we, we know the effect of the Tesla when you fire it on screen, but what actually happens on the set? Does that, does it make a noise of some kind to sort of give you an idea? No, it's, it's, it's all put in after the fact. Uh, so okay. it's just, it's just the prop and we kind of, you know, make the motion that, you know, it's, it's shooting or whatever. And then yeah. they put in all that stuff after the fact. Do you, the very first time you shot one, did you find yourself trying to hold back from going, you know, pew, pew? <laughs> I still do have to. I mean, that's like the... <laughs> As soon as you pull the trigger, it's either you're making a gun sound or a laser sound. I mean, of course, yeah, yeah you gotta. <laughs> I just, I, I gotta I, censor yourself from doing that. I know if I was ever lucky, fortunate enough to be in a Star Wars film, I would make and oh. using a lightsaber. <laughs> I, I would be using making the lightsaber noises. I wouldn't be able to help myself. Yeah, it's, um, just, it's just part of it. I've I've mentioned uh, some of my you know, my favorite roles of yours. Have you got a favorite role yourself? Well, I mean, I, I really do like um, Jinxie. Uh, yeah, I think that. Cool. A really interesting character, and I'm I'm hoping that we get to you know continue to play it and and you know see other facets of, of him. Mm. Um, I really enjoyed Smallville too. I mean, getting a chance, even though he wasn't technically the Jimmy Olsen. I mean, for, from my perspective, uh, you know, I got to play an iconic character yeah. that you know has has been around for a long time. And if you say that name, most people know who that character is. You know, yep. they've seen it in in some version along uh, along the years. Uh, so it's, it's, that was pretty cool to get a, a chance to be part of something like that. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd probably say Jimmy is one of the things that I feel very fortunate to play for, for this generation. Well, I mean, actually there was, there was Sam Huntington too, who played for our generation, who played, uh, uh, Jimmy in, in the Superman Returns movie. So it just, yeah, it's cool. It feels good to be part of something that's uh, been around for so long. Yeah. Well, you're, you're now the face of Jimmy Olsen, which is pretty cool for a, yeah. for like a whole year, right? Which <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's pretty groovy. Um, you're at, so you're at Alice Comic Con with a whole bunch of other um, stars, celebrities. Is it? Do you ever uh, go to these sort of conventions and, and get starstruck yourself? Uh, not most of the time, but some people, yeah. I mean, you know, as as an actor, you're you know you're always working with other actors and stuff. So even somebody who you've seen on something before, you know, you you might be working with them down the road sometimes. So it's yeah. not really that big a deal. But there's certain actors I I didn't. Think that I was going to be so starstruck, but I got a chance to meet uh, Patrick Stewart um, at a Comic Con in Canada maybe three or four months ago, and I was literally like, just you know, I was I was excited <laughs> and like nervous and stuff. I was like, don't say anything stupid in front of you know Patrick Stewart. So, uh, but he was super down to earth and friendly yeah. and you know, incredibly charismatic and stuff. But yeah, there's certain people that that you don't think that you're going to be nervous around them and all of a sudden you're like talking to them and you're like, I can't believe that I'm actually talking to this person. Do you have a favorite fan moment? I've never had any bad fan moments, I can tell you that, especially at the cons. I mean, it's pretty amazing to just go uh, to these things and, you know, with the panels and the signings and stuff. I mean, there's, you know, all these people that are just so complimentary and, you know, respect and support the work that you do and that's just pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, the the idea of that that because sometimes you forget when you're working on a show or you know you're an actor and stuff you know that people are watching stuff and people are seeing it but until you actually you know see somebody face to face and says oh my god like I, I love that show and you know I, we 
love watching your character and stuff, you kind of forget that anybody even sees this stuff. You just you go yeah. to work and you you act the scene and you do it, and then it's you know it comes out a year later. So there's such a distance between when you do it and when it airs and all stuff. So it, it's just I mean just the idea of that people are out there that you know like what you do and and appreciate what you do is awesome, and that's why I think. Uh, you know, coming to these cons and stuff is amazing because you actually get to meet the people who care about what you do, care about, you know, the work that you, that, that you do. So it's uh, pretty much all these experiences have been good for me. That's awesome. Uh, so what do you do when you're not acting? I like to actually, I read a lot of comic books, um, well, more like graphic novel stuff. I mean, I play guitar, I like to cook, I like to barbecue. Um, I've got a lovely girlfriend that I spend tons and tons of time with, so... I'm pretty. I'm pretty low key. I'm. I'm sort of over the partying and going out phase. I'm, uh, you know, kind of growing up a bit. But uh, yeah, mostly just. I'm. I'm pretty laid back. You had me at. Uh, I like to read comic books. That my ears yeah. pricked, pricked right up. What sort? What sort of stuff do you like? What have I been reading? I mean, I, I didn't. I read a lot of stuff when I was younger, and then I. I, you know, in in my teenage years, and then I kind of just didn't read anything for a long time so I, the past uh, probably the past couple of years I've been reading a lot of stuff so I, I've been catching up on all the uh, Vertigo stuff um, Preacher and all Sandman um, The Invisibles um, uh, Lock and Key I've really been into recently yeah excellent um, what else have I read I really yeah Grant Morrison I love so all pretty much everything that he's uh, written I try and get a hold of and read uh, what else am I reading? You know, I, I haven't really been into like the big superhero stuff, like a lot of the superhero right. stuff. Okay. I don't know why. I just kind of picked up uh, like some of the Vertigo stuff, and I was just loving that. So I kind of have been going through all those titles and that. So, but yeah, I just, I've got a little back room. Um, I just bought a little house in Toronto, in Canada, and I've got a little back room that we call the library, and uh, it's just a, like a little office room. But I just that's where I go back. I got a little couch back there. I sit there and I spend hours reading and reading. So that's awesome. Uh, that is that's almost exactly like what where I'm talking to you right now is in that nice. my my back study, which is a wall two walls full of comics. Yeah, and that's right. I, I got my bookcases yeah. and they're just you know like filled with stuff. So yeah, very it. cool. What is your favorite movie? Oh, that's awesome! I mean, you know, like I, uh, there's so many movies that I love, but I think if somebody was to say you can only wa- watch one movie for the rest of your life, like what would it be? Probably that. That is so something, cool. Something about it. I got. I, I was uh, luckily enough to uh, interview Bruce Boxleitner, who uh-huh. is uh, good friends with uh, Jeff, and uh, he's. I asked him about. Well, is Jeff is Jeff basically the dude? And, uh, and he said, yep, no doubt about it. <laughs> he's basically, we just call him the dude. He's, he's, he, that is exactly who he is. Yeah, that would be, that'd be so cool to I, be the dude. Yeah. I can't tell you how, how happy that made me, knowing that. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 not that I knew that, but I, for some reason I just assumed that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I just like, <laughs> yeah, he's the dude. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, this, now this question might throw you. Uh, okay. uh, it seems to throw people, I'm not too sure, but people love the questions. So okay. if you were doing this interview... What would be the one question you would want asked? Well, that's a, that is an amazing question. <laughs> um, oh, damn. That's, I, that's a difficult question. It um, is, it's, it, but people seem to really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that, that, that's like uh, uh, more uh, above the, or, or more depth than the, the, you know, just the regular question. So um, <laughs> to be honest with you, I can't 
think about it. No, but you know what's going to happen is tonight I'm going to I'm going to be lying in bed and I'll be thinking about that. I'll be like, and I'll come up with some amazing thing. I'm like, damn it, I should have. Um, I really don't know. I mean, I think you've covered pretty much everything. The thing that I don't like in interviews is when people just ask about like. Uh, uh, just about stuff with my brother. That's my, my pet peeve because people, like, I don't mind answering questions about it, but people think that it's just like the twin thing is so cool and I'm just like, oh, I'm twin. I don't know any yeah. difference, so it just is what it is. But uh, just like sometimes people just, that's all they want to talk about. Yeah. Like it's, it's like a two-minute interview and that's what they want to talk about. And I'm just like... I'm over it, know. dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair enough. Well, Aaron, thank you very much for talking to me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, it's been my pleasure. That's awesome. Um, if, if you are uh, at the Melbourne show, I will introduce myself. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Enjoy your time here in Australia. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Have a good night. Okay, bye. So that was Aaron. What a legend. It was a, a pleasure to talk to him. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again. Coming up next, coming soon. So coming in the next couple of weeks in Australian cinemas, on March 21, we get Jack the Giant Killer. And uh doesn't look very interesting, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, it does look like a bit of a come down from the guy who gave us the usual suspects and the X-Men movies. Yeah, but anyway, it's a family movie, I'm mm. sure. You know, hopefully it's a success. And is returning to the X-Men movies as well. Yeah, which is awesome. Uh, that day we also get A Good Day to Die Hard, which is the, the latest in the oh. Die Hard, what has now become a franchise. And uh, Oh, dear goodness. Yeah. Just looks, it just There's, looks... It's been um, out in America for a bit and the reviews are not good. There's a point in the life of a movie franchise where it's time to just wrap it up. In the case of Die Hard, I think that was after the first film. <laughs> it wasn't really a franchise, there, was it? Yeah, but it shouldn't have been a franchise. Um, given the debacle that was 2, the never-ending cycle that was 3, and the garbage that was 4, and now probably the garbage that will be 5... Um, I'm just not interested in this franchise at all anymore. Although I agree with you that it should have stopped with one, because one is in my top yeah. five greatest films ever. <laughs> as in, not greatest as in technical, but in terms yeah. of the ones that I love. Um, I actually don't mind three and four. I think they're okay. I like three. Yeah. Uh, but three, Three's problem is, is that it has about 12 false endings. Yeah, that's like, true. It just keeps going. That's what <laughs> I'm saying. It's, it's, got, it's got the con air. The con air is sort of... Well, there, a, lot of a lot of action films at yeah. that point in time were suffering from the same problem. That's even more than Return of the King. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but uh, I mean, although when this was first announced, I was... I was I won't, I won't deny it. I was interested because, I mean, I love John McClane and I love the, the you know, Die Hard sort of franchise and I was intrigued to sort of see how it went. But... Um, I've, I've read some of the reviews and oh. <laughs> I'd, I'd still it, be interested to see it. The problem, the problem sounds from the plot perspective. It sounds like it, they've taken away completely from what the original Die Hard, even the first, even the first three were, which is an ordinary guy yeah. trapped in in extraordinary circumstances. Here they've taken a guy who is now no longer ordinary because it's yeah. John McClane. They've made it even more extraordinary to the point of ridiculous. Yeah, um, I, I think I think they pretty much nailed, nailed it for ridiculous when he was fighting a. <clears throat> He was using a truck to but, to evade a Harrier jet in mm. number four. I was like, "This is not this is not John McClane." Is, is he wearing shoes? <laughs> See, I mean, compare it to the you know the the, the original, where it's you know he, he's quite clearly suffering. Mm. Yeah, he's hitting some dire straits. 
I mean, there's, of course, there's some over-the-stop stuff in the first film as well, but it is, it's an 80s action film, what do you expect? Yeah. I mean, the bad guy that's suddenly alive again right at the end mm. out of the rubble, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But although although awesome. that, that did become the standard yeah. after that film for action movie villains, so... But anyway, I'm still going to see it. I don't deny it. I'll still see it. I but, think I'll uh, give that one a miss. Um, we'll, uh, we'll, might even review it. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then uh, on March 28, we get G.I. Joe Retaliation. The yeah. sequel that had to happen. And uh, had to like get like more reshoots and all sorts of stuff. It just looks like a disaster. Gotta set it back and set it back and set it, it back meant, again. It was meant to be out a year ago. Yeah. Um, which never bodes well. This no. Is, I'm not, I never saw the first one, so I'm not really excited about this anyway. First one's terrible. First one's garbage. Yeah. It's utter rubbish. Yeah. We also get the host, which is uh, Stephanie Meyer's other book. Uh, so, other, so automatically, other automatically, they're just a complete turn off. Auto- automatically avoid at all costs, mm. um, and then, uh, or maybe not all costs. <laughs> That's a bit extreme, <laughs> but at least boy. Okay, so uh, as for in our last episode, we announced that we have a uh, competition giveaways from the awesome dudes at All Star Comics, Melbourne, Level One, Four Ten, Lonsdale Street, Melbourne, Australia. Basically, the prizes were some Marvel motion. Blu-rays, uh, first prize was X-Men Gifted, Spider-Woman, Agent of the Sword, and Iron Man Extremis. And second prize, runner-up prize was Spider-Woman and Iron Man. We've got some entries in, which is awesome. And uh, we're going to put them into, I've written them down on a piece of paper, we're going to put them into the NCP hat. And uh, lovely Crystal, my assistant, will be drawing out the names now. First prize goes to Dylan Braithwaite. So congratulations, Dylan. And second prize goes to... Second prize winner is... John Hamilton. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, didn't John win our Totally Irreverent t-shirt as well? <laughs> I got a shock at, I got a shock at Mary, but it, uh, I'm pretty sure John did actually win the t-shirt. So congratulations, John. Just goes to show you, you got to be in it to win it. He was in it, and he won it. Yay! <laughs> cool. So uh, Dylan and John, um, if you could send in a postal address of some kind, I'll send those prizes off. So congratulations. Congratulations to those two people. And thanks again to uh, Mitch and Troy from All Star Comics Melbourne. Mitch and Troy, yay! So just before we finish up, as I said at the start, uh, we, last episode we asked um, our listeners to give us their uh, favourite music and things from uh, film and TV. And uh, we had a huge response, as I said, but uh, I picked out five of them who have been gracious enough to give us their lists. Let's go through them in uh, no... No preference of order. One of the responses we got... I mean, people responded via uh, comments on the website, email, tweet, the whole kit and caboodle. So it was... Uh, a couple of smoke signals. <laughs> and and uh, the ravens. <laughs> Owls. Owls. <laughs> the whole deal. So starting off with Seb, who uh, left a comment on our website... Hi team, loved the episode. The Oscar roundtable was right on point and it was great to be reminded of the importance of the role soundtracks play in setting the mood for all the, all the things we love to be thrilled, shocked, devastated and made to soil ourselves by. My five picks in no particular order are Memorial from the cook, the thief, his wife and her lover. Yeah, it's off to a good start there. A little bit of we comes out every time I hear this. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that, that explains the soil himself. <laughs> this guy's awesome. He's, I'm a huge. He's uh, he's contacted us a couple of times, and every every time it's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> the build, the operishness. It's a word. Look it up. And the sheer richness of Michael Nyman's composition just hits me right here. What do you mean you can't see where I'm pointing? How rude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next one is the heart to heart theme. 
Okay, now there's an interesting choice that I had actually considered. Yeah, I had to, I had to actually you know jump on the uh, jump on the uh, the YouTube. And, uh, Robert Urich or Robert or oh, Robert Wagner? No, that was Robert Wagner. Yeah, the, Wagner. The, the, the Wagner one. Yeah, it has strings, disco rhythms, masses of percussion, urgent wah wah. It and does wa- indeed. Wah wah yeah. is nothing if it's not played with urgency. <laughs> Jet planes, explosions, a voiceover, a c- complete with a classic line: "This is Mrs. H. She's gorgeous." <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I actually pronounced it that way, but it's how it's written here. <laughs> and a big finish, the auditory equivalent of a happy ending. And I'm not going to explain what that means. <laughs> uh, for our PG-rated audience. Henry Mancini's The Pink Panther, instantly recognisable, up there with the Jaws theme in terms of rooting itself into popular culture. Very true. It's a classic piece, no doubt about it. Number four, the Doctor Who theme. Look, Why how did we not have the Doctor Who theme? I, I came close to putting that on. Like it really was it's shameful. It was one of the ones that just didn't quite make the cut. But I tell you what, it was very close yeah, indeed. I, yeah, I agree. That's an awesome version being played on a saw and spicks and specs ones. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Look it up on YouTube. Yeah. Um, so amazing, it's been sampled and covered respectively by coolers, frack electronic outfits like the KLF. And, That's true. And Orbital. Seb, I believe, is actually a DJ. Oh, awesome! Yeah. Yep. He knows his music. Absolutely. And uh, number five, you'll like this one, Richard. Yep. Everything from Psycho. Absolutely. In the end, when it came to uh, Bernard Herman, we went with North by Northwest. Which is fair enough. But, uh, yeah, the Psycho music, once again, yeah. m- much like your comments on the Pink Panther, uh, the Psycho music, just iconic. Yeah. The, the urgency, the horror, the genius. Absolutely. Okay, so next up we've got Ben. Uh, young Benny Kane's actually a contributor on the website as well. He's the uh, the he's young man a... that does comics newbie. Yes, he is. Yep, took uh, it out. He's a, a big fan, and uh, we love him dearly. Uh, he only had, he only had four: uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, the Imperial March, the main theme from Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring. That is a good choice. Jumps in. Excellent and, choice. Um, probably the best piece of music that Hans Zimmer has produced. <laughs> I think I quite like his uh, Last Samurai music. Look, look, he's produced some good stuff, but I think that's that's really the standout. Mm. And uh, certainly that piece of music is the standout from that soundtrack as well. And last but not least, the Simpsons thing. A uh, bit, of, bit of Danny Elfman goodness. Uh, next up we've got Nick with Forrest Gump. Uh, Going Home by Mark Knopfler from the film Local Hero. Oh, Knopfler's ah, yeah. always good. Yep, absolutely. The Jaws theme. Yeah, now why, why didn't that, that was another one that almost made it in the Jaws theme. Be, but I just five slots just isn't enough. Five That's slots really is not enough. Five slots not enough. Not enough. Um, Close Encounters. Yeah, all of it, awesome. but especially the you know the do 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 do. Re- re- really, <laughs> we, we could have done an entire list just of John Williams music, yeah. and people would have it's been. Good. It's important that you said, that. It's, it's great that you said that because I'll get to that in a second. Um, and uh, as time goes by, by Cath- from Castle Blanket. Absolutely. It's good that you said what you just said, because uh, next up is Alan, and uh, he actually wrote, After making my list, I realised that they were all John Williams music, so I changed number five. Yeah, look, I can understand that. I was in a similar <laughs> boat when I wrote all of mine out. So um, his, his ones are, number one, all star, everything from Star Wars. Yep. Number two, everything from Superman. Yep. Number three, everything from Indiana Jones, especially Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yep. Number four, everything from Close Encounters. <laughs> and he doesn't say what number five was originally, but let's face it, it could have been anything. John Williams, he's done everything. Yep. Uh, so number five, he, his, his replacement one was Aliens, which is uh, fair enough. Absolutely. Bit of, Jane, bit of uh, Warner in there. Yeah, why not? <laughs> and to finish up, we've got Jason. Uh, and he says, I watch more TV shows than movies. 
so they are what stick in my head more. So I thought it was great that Crystal included some TV themes. But how okay. could you pick DS9 over the original series? An insult to true geeks everywhere. <laughs> oh, each geek to his own. But we could spend days debating actually which even version you're talking about. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> both both arguments have have merit. But actually, I actually prefer next next generation's theme. On my way home today, I was listening to my iPod. I reminded of another TV theme that I completely forgotten about that I love. Remy Zero's "Save Me" from Smallville. Yeah, cool. That's good stuff. Fair call. Uh, So Jason's picks were, number one, Star Trek, the original series. Uh, Number two, Quantum Leap. Yep, nice. Cool. Impressive. I I like where he's going with his taste in TV shows. Uh, Number three, Doctor Who. Yep. So there you go. Uh, Number four, this is awesome, MacGyver. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've got to draw the line there. I've got to draw the line on that one, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's it's just so middle of the road eighties that tune, but it was awesome. Look, look uh, to and number zero. five. This is this is the this is the kicker. Yeah. This one should be number one. All of the Marvel sixties cartoons themes. Ah uh, yes, when Captain no. America throws his mighty shield, no. those who chose to oppose his shield must yield. <laughs> You're gonna be pedantic about which Star Trek thing you have to choose. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's got them all. Them. He's got them all. We can't Cross argue with our listeners. Rainbow Bridge of Asgard. <laughs> well, actually, no, I can't because because that's a, what's a you, you'll be left in breathless wonder. <laughs> the God of Thunder, mighty Thor. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't say all of them. Because the Hulk one was pretty bad. What's his What's his name? Uh, which one? The last one? Yeah. That was Jason. Jason, you brought that on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so that was awesome. So just again, just thanks to, um, and that wasn't everybody, but uh, we're running out of time. So, but uh, that was it. Was just really awesome that people took the time to give us our lists and you know, to even think about it because it took me bloody ages to make my top five list. Absolutely, day. absolutely. So. And we certainly did read through all of the lists as well. So even if you weren't mentioned today, please don't think that we weren't, uh, we didn't go through every single. To sort of sort of tie into Jason's one with his MacGyver, one one of the other uh, people's lists, um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but uh, had the A Team and and Airwolf. (laughs) (laughs) I think his name was Stuart, but uh, I'm sorry if I I got that wrong. I apologise, but. Yeah, that was the Airwolf thing. Was, was very good. Though. Yeah, it was cool thing. It was actually probably better than the show at the end of the day. <laughs> That's true. Although the Airwolf itself, that was magnificent. Vincent. Yeah, it had a cool name, didn't? It? Once again, awesome, and thank you very much, everybody. Okay, so if you want to discuss uh, anything that we talked about on the show, or just tell us how brilliant we are, either way, we're cool with it. You can contact us at feedback at nerdculturepodcast dot com. Or you can post on the Facebook wall at www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast. Or you can tweet us at, at nerdculturecast. And you can even leave a comment on any of the posts on our website at www.nerdculturepodcast.com. It's terrific. Cool, so that's it for episode 46. That's Hooray. it from me. That's it from the crew, Richo. I'm terrific. On good after. I refuse to be the world's nicest critic anymore. And the beautiful crystal. You should try turning it off and turning it on again. <laughs> it's too real, Roy! <laughs> real! <laughs> uh, bye! Bye! Uh, bye.
brought to you by the Big Top Network.